So this is the story so far. Um, at the very beginning of human history, uh, God created a world. He created everything. Uh, and even though God was at the center of the universe, there was one special creation. It was mankind. And mankind was at the center of God's heart. And God created a world that was just right, perfect, uh, for that first man and woman and for all of their uh, lineage that would fall after them. Uh, two chapters in the Bible, after in the third chapter of the Bible, uh, the plot of the story takes a drastic turn in that the man and the woman, uh, in their hearts, they rebel against God and they make their own choice of what they thought was right and what was good. And the thing that strikes me about the story as revealed in the Scripture is that everything is affected by that sin. They're, they are separated from God. They are separated from one another. And ev even everything in nature is marred by the heart rebellion of the first man and woman. And that's kind of where we are in the story today with the reality of a broken world and the reality is that everything is broken it is not what God wanted it to be the heavy truth today and I need to go ahead and just get this out there so that you can begin to process this here's the truth God created everything just right man rebels against God and everything that God had created and set up is marred by that sin. And here's the heavy truth. At this point in the story, God doesn't immediately fix our broken world. He had a choice to but God, according to his wisdom, does not fix our broken world. And if you haven't had a dose of reality in your life lately, that effect still is today. <laughs> it's still broken, and God has not chosen to ultimately fix it. We live in a broken world, and even though God is sovereign, he controls all things. God has chosen, at least for now, not to fix our broken world. That is not only true in the big picture for our world. What I need you to do this Sunday is to get it down to your level. That is also true in your world and in your life. There, there's brokenness in probably in every aspect of your life. When you look around, you see the brokenness. And I, we're going to have to deal with this. God has chosen, at least for now, not to fix all of that brokenness. 
And I'm telling you, he's sovereign God. He could, but he does not. Now, that's not to say there's not some things that God has fixed, but God is not going to fix all the brokenness in your life. Not for now. And that's something we have to deal with and to come to terms with. There's a story in the Bible when we look at the chronology of the Bible that comes right now at this point in our timeline where we are. And it centers on one man. That's a very personal story. Uh, Some of you may say, well, that book could have been named after me. (laughs) But Job beat you to the punch. Because it is the book of Job. And one of the things that strikes me, it's a very personal story. It's It's not a philosophical book that says, hey, let's talk about suffering and problems and the brokenness in our world. No, God said, let's tell a story about a man and let's flesh this out. But what I want you to understand, to one extent or another, it is our story. Um, and we have, to come with turn, we have to come to grips with this concept that even though God could fix everything in my life, He chooses not to right now. Now in the chronology of the Bible, we've uh, made it to Genesis chapter 11. And... Um, The story of Job comes right now at this point, historically. That's about 21 uh, B.C. Can we show, I'm going to show my timeline at this point. Um, And we'll probably have a timeline every week. And there'll be one on your reference sheet. This is not exactly the one on your reference sheet, but we'll have it for you next week. Um, That will include this. I want you to be able to see God's big story and to see it chronologically and geographically and so if the flood these are approximate dates 2350 BC the Tower of Babel about a hundred years later 2250 BC um, I would put Job generally about 2100 BC and then the next big event that we'll talk about in the big story is, is Abraham and his call, which is about 2000 B.C. What we realize when we look at that, and this is, this is helping you see the big picture, Job is the most ancient book in the Bible. Uh, even Genesis that is telling the story was written by Moses years later. But if you're talking about a story that was written, the first written revelation of God chronologically is the book of Job. It's the most ancient of the books. Um, The Old Testament, as I said in the first sermon, is divided into three sections. History, the writings... And the prophecies, the histories are chronological. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth, 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, 1 and 2 Chronicles, 
uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Esther. Those are the books of history. Then we come to the writings, and they are also chronological. And so you have Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. The five writings are wisdom literature. And so I'm, I'm helping you here. We are plucking Job, whoop, and we're placing him in the history in Genesis chapter 11. And I want you to see that, even though he's not mentioned in uh, the book of Genesis Historically, we know that's where it falls. The writings, and we will see this, are, are, could be called wisdom literature. They tend to be poetic in form. And so you'll, if you read the book of Job, uh, you would see that much of it is in poetic form and tends to be very uh, philosophical, deals with ideas. The reason I put Job at 21 B.C., uh, there are a number of reasons, but three things I want to say to you. The book of Job tells us that after his time of suffering and his trials, after that time, after he was a man of great wealth, he lived 140 years after that. And when you look at the biblical record and you see the length of people and how long they lived, you go, wait, wait a second, Abraham lived only 175 years. Um, and so in my mind, it would be logical to say he had to precede Abraham sometime before that. The other interesting fact is that uh, the book of Job, the most ancient books, is the book that talks more about dinosaurs than any other book. If you look at the end, when God begins to talk to Job and says, what about these great creatures? Are you going to throw out a hook and, you know, put David Shaw, you're going to you know, throw a hook with some bait and like crank it? You're going to get it in? No, you're crazy. You're running from these beasts. And the dinosaurs were on the ark, but the world had changed, and the environment was not conducive to their body size and the vegetation that was needed, and therefore they went extinct. And I think probably, uh, yeah, we, we started killing them off. You know, they were, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring it down, bring it down. Here we go, we got babies crying. They're very impressionable. I know she was intrigued by my dinosaur story, but anyhow, we'll talk about that later. Um, I'm sorry. Um, so it's interesting that at the end, when, Job, when God is speaking to Job about the ancient creatures, he talks about the dinosaurs. And so it would have been a time that would have been relatively close to the flood before the dinosaurs became extinct. The other thing is there is no uh, mention of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Next week the story will take even a further turn in that God will narrow his focus to one man, Abraham, and his lineage. There's no concept of that in the book of Job, and so I think it has to precede God's dealing with Abraham because at this point in human history, God is dealing with mankind as a whole. Um, the Bible also, if we can look at our map, Sorry, I'm going to get bogged down. Map, uh, wow. Mm. If you're a geographical person, if not, this will be finished in about 30 seconds. Uh, <laughs> Job lived in the land of Uz. We don't know where that is. Therefore, I put up a map that doesn't have the land of Uz on it. Does this help you? Not particularly. Uh, <laughs> generally around the region of Edom down there, it's, it's east and 
in uh, south of the land of Canaan. So probably in northern Arabia, um, maybe somewhere over there by the words ancient Near East. Uh, but it is not, kind of my point is it's not in the land of Canaan. He is not from the land of Canaan. Uh, and so we will see that next week, how God focuses not only on Abraham, but also a land. All right, we can take the map off. Let's begin to read the book of Job now. I promised Robin that I would read 34 chapters in the book of Job this morning. Um, I, want us, I want us to see the storyline, okay? And I have a lot of scripture to read today and then to draw some conclusions. Job 1.1, here's the story uh, that God wanted us to hear at this point so that we could see his big picture of what life is really about. It says, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job, and that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. So Job was a righteous man. He had children, verse 2, and seven sons and three daughters were born to him. He was also a man of great wealth, verse 3. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys, and a very large household. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east, because it's east of the land of Canaan. And his sons would go and feast in their homes each to, on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters to eat and drink with them. So it was when the days of feasting uh, had run their course that Job would send and sanctify them. He was like the family priest, also a time preceding the patriarchs of Abraham. Um, and he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. This Job did regularly. The scene changes, which is so critical to what we have to talk about. Now, there was a day when the sons of God, who would have been, that's a general term for the angelic beings, whether they are fallen or not fallen. The sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan, hmm, the adversary, also came among them. And the Lord said to Satan, from where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it, which is what Satan does. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Wow, his name comes up. That there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. So Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? Have you not made a hedge around him, around his household, and all that he has on every side? You have blessed the work of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. No wonder he's followed you. You've blessed him. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Hmm. Oh, it's on. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, all that he has is in your power. Only do not lay your hand on his person. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord. Hmm. Shift back to earth. Now there was a day 
when the sons and daughters were eating, his sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house. And a messenger came to Job and said, The oxen were plowing and the donkeys feeding beside them when the Sabaeans raided them and took them away. Indeed, they have killed the servants with the edge of the sword, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The fire of God fell from heaven and burned up the sheep and the servants and consumed them, and I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came and said, The Chaldeans formed three bands, raided the camels and took them away, yes, and killed the servants with the edge of the sword. I alone have escaped to tell you. While he was still speaking, another also came. This is unbelievable. Your sons and daughters were eating and drinking wine in their oldest brother's house, and suddenly a great wind came from across the wilderness and struck the four corners of the house, and it fell on the young people, and they are dead. And I alone have escaped to tell you. One after another after another. Unbelievable tragedy. All in one day. Unbelievable. Verse 20, then Job arose, tore his robe, and shaved his head, and he fell to the ground and worshipped. He said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked shall I, re I return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And in all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong round one the contest between God and Satan Job maintains his faith and trust in a sovereign loving all-powerful God hmm. chapter 2 again there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord and Satan also came among them to present himself before the Lord and the Lord said to Satan, from where did you come? Where do you come? So Satan answered the Lord and said, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking back and forth on it. Then the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? Now this is a point in the story where Job needs to get in touch with what's going on and say, you need to stop mentioning my name. Have you considered, my servant Job, that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil? In the vernacular of the day, God's saying, that's my boy. What you think about my boy? Mm-hmm. You threw everything you had at him. No, he's still, he's still trusting me. And still he holds fast to his integrity, although you incited me against him to destroy him without cause. So Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yes, all that a man has he will give for his life, but stretch out your hand now and touch his bone and his flesh, and he will surely cuss you to your face, curse you, I'm sorry, I'm getting a little excited this morning, curse you to your face, same thing though actually, and the Lord said to Satan, behold, he is in your hand but spare his life. So Satan went out from the presence of the Lord and struck Job with painful boils from the sole of his foot to the crown of his head. 
And he took for himself a potsherd with which a piece of pottery with which to scrape himself while he sat in the midst of the ashes. Then his wife said to him, Do you still hold fast to your integrity? Curse God and die. But he said to her, You speak as one of the foolish women speaks. Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips. The end of chapter 2, through chapter 3, all the way to chapter 37, three friends of Job's come, and they sit with him for seven days, waiting for Job to speak in the midst of his unbelievable suffering. Finally, after seven days, Job speaks. And then one of his friends speaks. Job speaks, a friend speaks. Job speaks, another friend speaks. Three cycles of that, starting in, I think, chapter 32. There's one other young man who's been sitting there listening to all of this. He finally speaks. That gets us to chapter 37. Here's the gist of those, Brother Barry, all those chapters. (laughs) Job says, I can't believe what's happened to me. I don't deserve this. I don't know why this is happening to me. The friends, one after another, say, well, it would appear to me that you've done something and God is punishing you and you need to learn from this. Oh, it goes on and on and on and on. But that's it. Job, you have to be guilty of something. You need to confess it, get it right with God. There's no way God would send this on you if you weren't guilty of something. In the midst of those discussions, Job begins to say, I wish I could get an audience with God and I would plead my case. Well, chapter 38, after all the talking, God shows up. Hmm. And this is what God says, chapter 38. Then the Lord answered Job out of the whirlwind and said, Who is this who darkens counsel by words without knowledge? Now prepare yourself like a man, and I will question you, and you shall answer me. And then I think this statement that summarizes the next couple chapters. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth Tell me if you have understanding. And God just, God goes off. And one of the things that strikes me about the story is God never answers Job's question, why? God basically said, where were you when I formed the word? the world by my very spoken voice where were you when I created this animal like this the world like this where were you where were you where were you who are you who do you think you are God doesn't say that brother Daryl's filling that in that's what God meant so you're telling me you've got a greater understanding of the world I am the sovereign creator of the universe and you're gonna tell me you want to stand before me and explain to me why this is not right Seriously. God doesn't say that either. That's Brother Darrell. Chapter 40, verse 1. 
Moreover, the Lord answered Job and said, Shall the one who contends with the Almighty correct him? He who rebukes God, let him answer it. Then Job answered the Lord and said, Behold, I am vile. What shall I answer you? I lay, I lay my hand over my mouth. Once I have spoken, but I will not answer. Yes, twice, but I will proceed no further. Chapter 42, verse 1. Then God goes on. And he talks actually about the dinosaurs. You can look at some of those later. 40 and 41. Then Job answered the Lord and said, I know that you can do everything and that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. You ask, who is this who hides counsel without knowledge? Therefore I have uttered what I did not understand, things too wonderful for me which I did not know. Listen, please, and let me speak. You said I will question you, and you shall answer me. I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. The story of Job. Chronologically, God puts this early in the story of the big story. Because there are some issues we have to settle right now before we can move on. There is some truth that we have to understand so that our story can fit into God's story. And the first truth is what I've already shared with you. It's the heavy truth that God doesn't immediately fix our broken world. Our world is broken because of sin. I want to make that very clear. In fact, everything that is wrong with our world, all the brokenness that we see, traces back to the sin in the garden and the sin that is perpetuated from then on. Everything in our lives. God set up a world that was perfect. And it was sin that changed everything. So I'm telling you that everything that comes our way that is negative and we suffer is a result of sin from the very beginning. But the truth is that even though that is the case, God allows that brokenness to continue. So not only do we suffer the effects of sin in our world and living in a fallen world, let me say this. And it's true in Job's life. That all the, whatever I suffer in my life is not always directly attributed to my sin. Do you understand? There are some things that happen to me and to you that are not directly attributed to your sin, but it, all, it is all directly attributed to our sin and living in a fallen world. Does that make sense? 
Uh, you know, the reality is, th- this is crazy. The friend said, Job, this has happened to you because you have sinned, that you were unrighteous. <laughs> The irony of the story, no, the reason those things came upon Job is because he was a righteous man. Have you ever thought about that? Doesn't that like, whoa. No, it was God who said, this is a righteous man. Have you considered my servant Job? The suffering came because he was righteous, not because he was unrighteous. I think it kind of speaks to the truth that All the suffering in our life is not attributed to us, to me, but it is attributed to us. Now, some of the suffering in my life is attributed to me. So we live in a fallen world, and there is a presence of evil. And he is Satan and his demons, fallen angels that are described as the sons of God, that are still under God's control But the reality is, well, it actually, it goes all the way back to the garden, Genesis chapter 3. Here it is. God allows it. God allowed the serpent in the garden. God allows Satan to afflict Job. Oh, I'm sorry, people. Let's just get more personal. God allows suffering in my life and in your life. And he could fix it, but he chooses not to. You understand, we just got to start here with the story. Because the world's going to be broken the rest of the story until we get to the last two chapters of the Bible, okay? And God could fix it. But he chooses not to. Some things he does fix, but he doesn't fix it all. God doesn't immediately fix our broken world. My life is broken. The world system I live in is broken. And there is a presence of evil that is stoking the heart rebellion. Everywhere we look, there is a presence of evil that God allows. But God is still in control. Don't ever think in the midst of the brokenness that somehow God created the world, spoke it into existence, and spun the world. And step back and say, let's see how this thing plays out. Somehow in your theology, you may want to say there's certain things that God causes and there's certain things that God does not cause. I'm telling you, when you look to the Bible, God either causes it or allows it. There is nothing that comes to our world, to my life, to your life, that does not first pass through the hand of God. God is still in control. God either causes it directly or allows it indirectly, but don't think that somehow God's going, well, I think I'm, I, well, 
Okay, I think I'm going to intervene in this situation. Well, okay, I don't know what to do about that. So, no, I'm, I'm telling you. Now, that may cause you some theological uh, tension, stress. But it's what the Bible teaches. And it's better for us today to know that God is still in control of my life, regardless of the circumstances that he passed. Was it true for Job? Was God still in control? Oh, yeah. If God wanted to shut the thing down, he could shut the thing down, and he did. God is still in control. Even though he doesn't immediately fix our broken world, God is still in control. His hand is still on our world. On a personal level, God's hand is still on your life. You never escape it. He is the sovereign Lord of the universe. He is the sovereign Lord over your life. Thirdly, I would say that the Heavenly Father knows best. Because you say, wait a second, if my world is broken and God could change it because he's still in control but he chooses not to, then God must not love me. He must not understand. But God does know what is best. And there is purpose and meaning even in our suffering. We cannot always see it from our earthly perspective. Job couldn't God can see it from his heavenly perspective his thoughts are not our thoughts his ways are not our ways how ridiculous for Job to say oh if I could just get it if I could just bend the ear of God I'd tell him the what for and I'd straighten him out on all this suffering and this stuff that came to me God doesn't even answer his question he just basically says where were you who are you? Who do you think you are? And Job just crumbles in the presence of an almighty God that said, wow, that's how absurd that would be for the created to say to the creator, oh, I can tell you what ought to happen and what's right and wrong and how, what's just and unjust and what's fair in life. Daryl Smith would God, he'd say, really? But I'm not. The Heavenly Father knows best. God reprimands Job for his audacity to think that he knew better than God. And so many times we look through the perspective from our, our circumstances and we say life is not fair and this is not right. But we have no idea what it looks like from God's perspective. And, and you know throughout the book, I think it would have made a difference if God would have said, hey, we're going to have a little contest with your life. See what you can go through. But you see this, this scene on earth, scene in heaven. Scene on earth, scene in heaven. And then heaven comes to earth and God shows him and opens the windows of heaven. And when Job begins to see, oh, from a heavenly perspective, this looks a little bit different. 
the fourth thing that I would say is that God is working all things for his glory. Even in the midst of the brokenness, God is at work and God has a purpose and a plan and there is meaning even to our suffering. God is working all things for his glory. And I, I tell you, really, one of the things we've got to settle on at this point in the story, for there to be any chance that our story lines up with his story and we find meaning and purpose in our story, and we really only can if this is what God's about, that if our story is, is contrary to God's story, then it's not going to work, and we're going we're gonna to be like Job if he didn't turn to God and saying, life, life is meaningless and this is just a mess. doesn't make any sense. If he hadn't trusted God, that would be the, somewhat the case. God is working all things for his glory. And we've, we've really got to settle on that this morning. This is the real, this is part of the heavy truth that it's not about me and it's not about you. It's about him. And if we look at life from our perspective, which is what everybody does in the book of Job, including Job, we go, wait a second, this isn't fair, this isn't right. I don't know how this makes any sense. But do you see in the story that God was working for his glory? We sit here, wow, 4,000 years later, and we talk about a man, Job, whose life brought glory to God because in the midst of unbelievable suffering, he stood and said, my Redeemer lives. I know that my Redeemer lives. And someday all this is going to be made right. And God, I, I will not curse you. I will stand. I will believe. I will trust, even though I will speak some words that God's going to have to set me straight on. No, God, you are God. God was glorified in the life of Job. Here's the other thing God did something in Job. This is, this is going to get really practical. God did something in Job's life that he could only do when Job passed through the suffering that he passed through. Ow. And the one thing that brings God glory is that when people will worship and serve him because of who he is, not because of what God has done or will do for them. I'm afraid most of our Christianity in America is a convenience faith that says, I want God to bless my life and to take care of me because I have something I want to do and I have a life that I want to live. I'm sorry. God is not here to bless our lives. Our lives are here to bless God. It is about his glory. It is about his story, not my story and my glory. Job's trials brought God glory and taught Job things and deepened his faith 
so that his story was included in the book of all the people. Job's story gets included in the book because he brought God glory by maintaining his faith. And you see, there's things that only God can do in our lives. God is more concerned about our character than our comfort. And that's just a hard truth. The reality is, is if God just gave us everything I wanted, we wanted, and everything in my life went well, here it is, people. I wouldn't need God. And why did he create me? To have a relationship with him. And sometimes we only worship God because of what he does for us and not because he is God. Wow. And so what does God do? Sometimes he causes or allows things in our life to develop a deeper trust and love and commitment to him. It's the only way he can do it. And so the challenge as we come to grips with that idea that God's not going to fix everything but we know that he's still in control and that he knows best and he is working all things for his glory. We come to the place today to trust his goodness, his justice, and his power. There's one final thing that helps us see this. In the midst of our suffering, God wanted us to know that we were loved. And the one thing that he did to prove his goodness, his justice, and his power, and his love is that he sent his son to earth, to the broken world. And it was his plan that his son would suffer for our sins. Jesus entered into our suffering. God said, I want you to know that I am in the midst of it. I am not just up here allowing it. I am in the midst of it. It shows us the goodness of God that he loved us enough to come and that Jesus would suffer to an extent on a Roman cross. Oh, my. I'm, I was about to yell. I, it just hit me that God looked on the earth and he said what is the cruelest form of torture in 27 AD and it was Roman crucifixion and God said my boy is going to go through that for you and me somehow that I think God it wasn't by lethal injection. No, it was the cruelest form of torture and death that was known 
27 AD. And God did it out of his goodness. And out of his justice, he said, no, my son will suffer. He will pay for your sins. Not only will my son suffer, but God demonstrated his power. And that Jesus beat death and was raised from the dead. If you ever wonder in the midst of your suffering whether God is good or just or powerful, think about the cross and trust him so that your life, like Job's life, will bring him glory. Would you stand with me today? Father, today we pray that you would give us a glimpse into heaven in the story of Job as you pulled back the curtains and showed us what was going on. And Father, we would understand the same thing goes on today. The accuser of the brethren is still there. And Father, you are looking for people who will serve you because of who you are. And so Father, today, I pray that whatever we go through in our lives, uh, that Father, you would give us a faith and a commitment to you that glorifies you. Father, today, I, I pray for people in the room that have never trusted in your son. Father, I pray today that your spirit would draw them to yourself and they would know of a Savior who is good and is just and is powerful. Father, you would draw them to yourself. Father, you would redeem their life from the heart rebellion they've chosen and that I had chosen. So, Father, we pray that all of us would serve you and we would glorify you. Father, we trust this time to you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Now we'll rise.